I mean, the emails I get are like, I'm having a cat crisis, my, or my cat attacks people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had that happen mm-hmm. where people call me, they're like, I'm in the parking lot at the shelter. You're my last hope. What do I do? I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Daniel Quagliozzi, who goes by DQ, about being an, I shit you not, a cat behavior consultant. So, and more importantly, I think that this episode is just kind of all about living the American dream, which is having the freedom and the ability to think about what you want to do for a living and just going for it, just completely going after your passion and making it a career as opposed to just a hobby or as opposed to just a passion of yours, which is really what this podcast is all about. So Daniel really embodies that and is just such a great role model for all of us. So in this episode, you'll learn about what being a cat behavior consultant is all about, what his day-to-day looks like, and of course, how, if you wanted to become a cat behavior consultant yourself, how you could get started. So without further ado, here is cat behavior consultant. DQ, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Blake. So I got to tell you, uh, just a little backstory on this. We have a mutual friend, Soraya, who after I talked to her and told her about my project, she sent me an email with about 10 people that she thought would be interesting, cool ideas of people to interview. And I saw your name with cat behavior therapist (laughs) next to it. And I almost jumped out of my seat. I flipped out. I was like, oh my God, I have to be able to interview this person. And now we're finally here. This is like right the most on. exciting interview I've ever right. done in my entire life. Thanks for thanks for having me. So it's definitely a, a unique a unique job and a unique field to be in. So let's start with that for everyone, yeah. which is just what is a cat behavior therapist or a cat behavior consultant? Uh, well, a cat behavior consultant is uh, someone that I guess well people hire to help them better interpret their cats uh, or to better understand their cats. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's, that's my function <laughs> in life. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody has a really terrible cat, it, are those the only people that contact you as if their cat is horrible or do some people want to just get to know their cat better? Uh, well, it ranges. I think the majority of my clients are calling me in crisis mode. I mean, the emails I get are like, I'm having a cat crisis my, or my cat attacks people, you know, things that are really, <laughs> really, uh, you know, life changing or life altering. Uh, and because a lot of people have cats in their houses, those problems manifest, you know, in their home lifestyles. Uh, but I do get people who are just like, I just want to know my cat better. He's not like not a cat that misbehaves, but I just want to get a better gauge on what his needs or are, or if I'm meeting his needs at all. Yeah. Those are actually my favorite ones. Cause you can really take your time and really, um, you know, just get through the, well, if it's not a crisis, it's a lot easier to, <laughs> to solve a problem, yeah. you know, but the crisis ones are definitely, um, the higher percentage of the calls I get and so, emails. So I feel like it, with people, there's so much nuance to their behaviors and their personalities, you know, I mean, down to, Maybe what you had for lunch today will impact how you're behaving this evening right. um, or obviously a host of other things that are even more meaningful than that. Are, are cats that 
diverse. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I wouldn't even know where to begin. If a cat's yeah. being an asshole, like, <laughs> how, are, how do you know, like, why the cat is being an asshole? I think, and this is going to, you know, it's going to sound cruel, but asshole cats typically come from asshole human behavior. And, you know, cats are not, um, they're not obvious and they don't, they're not obedient. And that's really the, like, the quintessential problem is that people have intentions as human beings, we have intentions and we have expectations and the, and most of them are run through, well, with like an emotional component behind it. Our emotions kind of dictate how we make our decisions. When cats act out, it's because their needs are not being met in some way, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. If it's biting or scratching or attacking, usually that's because somewhere down the line there is a threshold that's being crossed. Cat has a, a line drawn somewhere, whether it's um, how much they want to be held, touched, approached. Um, it's, it's really, honestly, it comes down to, is the person getting in the way of this cat's free will? So by that you mean, is, is it more often that the person is trying to pet and touch the cat too much and not the other way around? Oh, like yeah. they're not giving the cat enough personal space. I mean, when it comes to petting, petting is, it's like, it's not, it's not a given that every cat wants petting. Yeah. And I think we assume it and some do and some don't. Some, they would rather approach you for it. Um, but we tend to just go, oh, I feel like petting you right now, so I'm going to do it. And we <laughs> yeah. do it, and then we get bitten or scratched or, you know, uh, bunny kicked, grabbed onto, all these things. And <clears throat> what I do with my clients is just say, okay, let's just pretend like your cat never wanted it at all. Just like be less present. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's like a fine line between being present and being less present with with animals. And I feel like being less present is actually what draws them to you. Yeah. The person in your house who visits and has an allergy is the one that cats make the beeline for because they're not making eye contact. They're totally just sitting there like, uh, you know, like uh, if I ignore this cat, it'll go away. And they're like, Oh, this is the perfect person. I can own this one really easily. There's not going to be all that bullshit that gets in the way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I mean like people have their own ideas and, where where the job of a consultant comes in is to go, okay, these are your ideas, and I'm not going to tell you your ideas are wrong, but I'm going to tell you that they're this is where they come into conflict and why your cat is being an asshole. Yeah, you know, um, aggression comes usually because the cat feels like its decisions are being taken away, or there's a fear, an expectation of something that they're used to happening. So. Um, so a lot of the advice I give is human-based. Yeah, know, I'm not walking into somebody's house and going, oh, yeah, this, let me just spend an hour with your cat, and then when I come out, everything will be fine. It's yeah, not yeah. like that, you know? You don't just sit quietly in a room and stare at no, the cat. And... No, no, no. It's, 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 a, it's an hour and 15 minutes or two hours sometimes of me sitting with a person with the cat present. Yeah. It's like, don't worry, we're, we're going to talk about you <laughs> while you're in the room. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's... There's no changing cat behavior unless you change your contribution yeah. to, the, to his environment. Man, yeah. that's so funny. They, we're talking about this right now. Uh, my mom has a cat, and I see my mom maybe once every three months or something like that. And typically when I'll go down there to see her, I, she, I try to pet the cat, you know, and the cat just constantly runs away from me. Uh -huh. And my mom's like, you know, the, the cat doesn't like anybody but my husband and I. That's the way it works, you yeah. know. 
So this most recent time, to your point of people with allergies, I just, I got there and I was just like, man, screw this cat. So I didn't ever try to approach it, did nothing. And I was sitting on the couch watching a basketball game that night uh, by myself. My mom and her husband had gone to bed. And after about 20 minutes of me sitting there by myself, the cat hopped up next to me and started rubbing on me and purring and stuff like that. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And the very next day, she re- remembered that then. Yeah. Then the next day, she didn't run away from me when I went up to pet her. It's like, oh, we that's right. We bonded last night, I guess to your point, on her terms, mm-hmm. not on my terms. Always like, on their terms. Yeah. Cats, I'd say it this way. A cat is always thinking, what have you done for me lately? You know, it's <laughs> like, they're not, it's, they're self-serving creatures. They're a little selfish, um, but they generally only do things that are in their best interest. Yeah. And that's where the conflict happens with the human cat relationship is we have all these rules about how we want to live and where we want our animals to go. And, you know, with a dog, it's a little easier. You can train them and they're obedient and they, they're, you know, their relationship with us, with us is how can I please you? Yeah. Cats are like, what have you, what have you done to please me? Yeah. Please please me more. So the answers that I give are mostly like, Oh, so if this is happening, well, for instance, like you've got a cat that, uh, Oh, I don't know. He's he's really attention seeking. He's loud and vocal. Um, and your way of fixing that problem is by answering it with food or or yelling or throwing a pillow or whatever. Like that, even the negative stuff is still some kind of attention yeah. that the cat is getting. Yeah. So it takes like the person to kind of withdraw from that and go, okay, like I just won't reward. Is it is cause and effect? You know, this cat's going. If I do this and push this, I get even more annoying. Now the person's not listening to me meow. Okay, I'll knock this off the counter. Yeah, like these are the things that aren't quite like deliberate and spiteful, but they are definitely um, the cat trying to control the environment. You know? It's so funny. So would you say that even most people that consider themselves cat people, because obviously they have a cat, are deep down more or less dog people in that regard? That they want. They want something that just wants to be their companion and they're every second, you know, they're not ready to give this animal just complete freedom and independence. Right. It's, it, I think with the, the human dog relationship is a very, I don't know, it's close to human, human relationship for people, honestly. And with cats, they're not just, they're not, they're not selling out. they're not not selling out that's man i've never thought of cats as being so cool in my entire life until you talk about it like that it's like dogs are the total sellouts and Ah, cats cats are are just these og animals punk rock man that's that's honestly that's what drew me to them because they're not um they don't do what you say they're not they're just totally anti-authority yeah you know (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny i've never thought of it like that so are you a big animal person overall are you mainly a cat person how does all that work um well i think um for me no it's mostly cats i mean i like all animals but i think as far as my understanding and my um it's okay my understanding of of cats uh i don't know i guess it hits more home with me with cats, like the, the the I like that you have to work for that relationship with them. That it is very much, very much a relationship built on on trust. Yeah. So, um, I think that's what sort of won them over for me. Did you have yeah. cats as a kid, or no. did this all happen later on? In life? No, I, I grew up in suburban New Jersey, uh, and we had a dog, uh, and our neighbors had cats, but they were cats that that you know went through the yard on the way to, to another yard. Yeah. So I never really saw them. I never had any real 
bond or understanding of cats as as a companion. Yeah. Uh, but when I moved out to uh, San Francisco in 1997, uh, I lived in Oakland, and we had community cats, just cats that were kind of the same, unowned but friendly, uh, and they would come to our house every day. So it was from there that I was like, oh, like these cats are coming every day. And yeah. I was actually in the same mode I would have been in New Jersey, which was like, spray water, get them out of the yard, <laughs> please leave. You were pests, you know? Yeah. Uh, but they just kept coming back. And eventually I was like, well, let's see what happens if I open the door. And then one came in and stayed with us. And wow. That's crazy. We moved would they be affectionate at all? Or would they oh, yeah. just, they were, that's what surprised me. I was like, Oh, they're not just like, you know, like, outside animals they, they come in and they interact with you and they and th- i mean this one particular one we named him dante he's this huge black cat and he was really vocal but he was vocal in a way where it like it, for me it was just the first i don't know maybe connection i had with an animal where i was like i think he understands me it was kind of <laughs> yeah. weird he probably didn't at all <laughs> you know <laughs> Probably just using me like yeah. like they're supposed to. No way. I mean, it started you down the path that you're on now. So yeah. So sure. let's talk about that. How? Yeah. What were you doing at that time for a living? Okay. Um, how the hell did you get started doing oh, what you're well, doing? Well, all right. So I mean, I did. I did not intend for this to be my job. That's for sure. Um, I arrived in in California uh, at the tender age of oh, how old was I? Twenty five. And um, where are you from? New Milford, New Jersey. Okay, that's right. Yeah, so, so I lived there all those 25 years. I'd never lived in California before. And uh, my first job was like working in Berkeley on Telegraph Ave. Just a you know punk rock job. Um, and then I had a few office jobs and stuff. And then uh, I think uh, what what shot me into the cat world was I my in the early 2000s, I was working in the dot-com world. Uh, office management, customer service, just stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the uh, company I was working for tanked, and uh, we all got laid off. And I was like, oh, now what do I do with my time now? So uh, my roommate at the time was walking dogs at the San Francisco SPCA. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just go over there, and I'll just hang out with cats. So I started as a volunteer there, but I... Because of the experience that you would have with Dante? and Yeah, well, Dante, uh, well... Dante, I lived with with an ex girlfriend, and then I moved out, and she kept Dante. But then I adopted another cat mm-hmm. from the SPCA, so mm-hmm. I was aware of the SPCA and that there was this place that was really really cool you could go to, and you could uh, you could volunteer to do all kinds of different things. So I, this I was already you know kind of entrenched in having a cat relationship now for probably it was about five years already. So um, the passion was there. I just didn't know that. Uh, it was going to be what I was going to do. Yeah. You know, so uh, I entered the shelter world as a volunteer. I volunteered about eight hours a day, like every day, because I didn't have a job and why not? Yeah. And um, what ended up happening, which I urge people to do, is if you volunteer, you kind of get an inside track on how sh- things work at a shelter. No doubt. And for me, it wasn't cats first. Honestly, it was people because. The first job I had at the SPCA was uh, was doing adoption counseling. So it wasn't me sitting with cats all day. It was me sitting at a desk interviewing people about the cats that they wanted to adopt. Wow, yeah, yeah. So all in theory, you know, I've got all this information about this animal, and then I've got the information and what I see in front of me about a person, and I have to make sure that that's a proper match. Yeah. 
So, so you started thinking about the psychology of people and cats and how they match up. And sure, I, that and honestly, it was the closest thing to social work that I've ever done. Is when you have a complete stranger walk in from all walks of life, all races, genders, financial stabilities come in, and they are now you know inquiring about an animal that you know a little bit about. Sometimes you know it's not a good match. You're just like this cat is going to drive you nuts, yeah. or. This one, we already know, didn't do well in a house with dogs and you have two of them, whatever it is. So really, you know, as I was doing that job at the front desk there and interviewing people, I thought, okay, well, you're going to be a social worker. That's what you're going to be. Yeah. And I thought, that's my skill set. So I actually started going to college part-time while I was there to get a sociology degree. Yeah. Because I thought that's what I was going to do. Yeah. But um, at the same time, I started then specializing in only cats. I uh, left the front desk and then joined the, uh, at the time, this was about 2006, uh, the cat behavior department. They actually had a department. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, uh, that was basically um, me doing behavior assessments on cats, intake evaluations on cats. So deciding who's going to enter the shelter and if it's a cat that we can help or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I continued doing the counseling with people uh, in person and then over the phone. Wow. So you uh, just had to see, I'm sure, a ton of cats during that time period and, oh, yeah. and know how a cat's personality will develop and whether or not it's improvable or not. Absolutely. And- yeah. I mean, I was there, worked at the SPCA for 12 years. Um, in 12 years, roughly you're doing somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000 adoptions a year. Wow. <laughs> right. And at any given time, you're housing 200 to sometimes upwards of 400 cats yeah. in-house all at one time. You've got to know where they're at. Are they housed in a place that's actually good for their well-being? Uh, what's the behavior they're presenting? Who should visit that cat? How should they visit that cat? Who should adopt that cat? What should we say about that cat to that's get it crazy. adopted? It's yeah. so funny. So hearing you say all this, it, and and now what you do for a living, it sounds like the most obvious thing in right. the world now, yeah. you know? So, I didn't know it. I didn't see it. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. But. So when when did that hit you then? What was the moment that you're like, I can do this? Or did you hear about somebody else doing it? Well, okay. So there's a couple things that happened. One was, um, I was just starting to get, well, I was starting to be known <laughs> at the SPCA as that cat guy, that tattooed cat guy. Um, and then... Um, well, for me, honestly, it was two things. One, I was aware of a guy who was already doing the job and was on TV. Mm-hmm. His name is Jackson Galaxy. Uh, and he and What I, channel was this on? He's on Animal Planet. Okay. Yeah, the show Dang. is called My Cat from Hell. Is that still on? It's still on. Man, yeah. you got to take it over and just be tattooed cat guy, <laughs> like you said. It'd be hey, way better. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, with him, he, uh, you know, he was the first one to kind of be public and... Well, just the first time people were like, wow, that's a job. Yeah. And because he was also like a lot like me, you know, and he's tattooed also. Yeah. And kind of a rock and roll looking guy. Uh, people paid attention to that. Yeah. And it stood out. And sometimes people are more, well, they're more, they'll, they'll listen to advice from somebody that doesn't fit the mold more than they will the average. Totally. The average, you know, boilerplate cat behaviorist. Yeah. Um, so I was aware of him doing that and also was starting to see some problems, uh, in what I was doing, uh, at the SPCA. The problem was that 
when you when you have it uh, when you have cats in your care that are special needs or have behavior needs that need to be um, handled by a certain type of person, when you adopt them out, a lot of times there's a lot of after care and talk that you have to do with the people to make sure it's that it's working out. On the flip side, there are people who are like, I've had it with this freaking cat. It's peeing all over my house, and I'm done, and I'm going to surrender it. And that call would come to me, and I'd be like, are you sure you want to surrender? Because maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this. And I'm you know, blanketing them with all kinds of advice, but I can't see the cat. Mm-hmm. I can't see the actual problem, and I've got this person's interpretation of the problem which is mostly emotional. Yeah. Mostly this cat is spiteful and he hates me and he pees on my pillow because I go out at night and all this stuff. <laughs> my girlfriend, you know, it's just all this, all this layers and layers of like any drama. other human to human relationship right. is putting all of your emotions onto the other person. Exactly. So I'm on the phone, on the phone with them and or on the email and doing email with them trying to go, okay, here's a hundred reasons why it might be happening. Is it pick, is it any of these? And, or, you know, Try all these solutions. And they'd be like, I tried that. I tried that. So hitting that brick wall and not being able to prevent surrenders Mm -hmm. was killing me. Because my job was, once they decided to surrender, it was to process that surrender. So, God, man, in the summertime or or times where there were a couple of years where people were really having financial troubles, um, people were giving up a lot. And I would be all day, one cat after another just bringing them in and doing those interviews. And and it's never a happy interview. Mm-hmm. Somebody's surrendering their cat. There's a lot of emotion and crying. And, you know, they know they're doing, not doing really the right thing, but it may be something they feel like they have to do. So, you know, having sort of the compassion in that moment to just be like, okay, it's going to be fine. Like, I'm not here to judge you. I know this is hard and all that stuff. Um, it was it was taking its toll on me. And I was like, I got to get out there. I need to be at their house. Yeah. Talking them off the ledge and being like, no, this is it. Like, I'm here. I can see it. And now that I do this, now that I do go to people's houses, I, I can see it all. I can see where their thoughts go down this rabbit hole of, that's it. I give up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had that happen mm-hmm. where people call me. They're like, I'm in the parking lot at the shelter. You're my last hope. What do I do? Yeah. And I'm like, drive home and I'll see you tomorrow. God, that's like, so cool. Yeah. So for me, it was about preventing them from entering and it's not that you know a cat at the spca is in this bad situation it's a beautiful place with great people um and i mean you couldn't ask for a better place to land if you're a homeless cat or dog um but it's still a stressful thing for a cat to go through because Mm -hmm. cats uh are are creatures of routine and once they're established in an environment that they feel comfortable in that's kind of how they run their lives when you remove them from them, then now they're in a three by three cage with new litter, new food, new people. Everyone's wearing gloves. Everything's sterile. There's just, there's not one shred of this is mine yeah. anymore. Yeah. Then they tend to back, uh, they backslide into some really strange behaviors or the behaviors they had already amplify yeah. even more. So that was kind of like, for me, just I'm, I'm the person then in charge of going, okay, you're here now. Now we've got to make this better yeah right? we've got to sure. change your life recycle you into another life again you know so so once you decide that this is what you're going to start doing 
how did you get business? I mean, did you talk to people at the SPCA and say, hey, if you have somebody on the phone and you think that they could be talked off the ledge, you got to throw them my way and I will. Yeah, well, it was tricky because the SPCA also has behavior services there. Okay. So it was some, and sometimes it can be a conflict of business interest yeah. for me to take that business. But eventually I got to a point where I, I left the SPCA to do it. Just like I was like, I was doing it part time at night. And I said, you know, I, I've just got to devote a hundred percent to it because it's, um, it was definitely a need for it. And, um, you know, for me it was, uh, well, it was just about getting, getting outside the shelter walls, you know, and, and being my own, my own controller yeah. of, of my messaging. Cause also like when you work for an organization, you also have to, well, you've got to be, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but you have to just be kind of succinct with their, with their mission and their messaging. And it doesn't leave a lot of room for individuality. And yeah, I've been fighting for, sure. for individuality my entire life, yeah, definitely. you know, trying to stand out for whatever reason. Or so, like you said, if 99% of the time the person is to blame for the situation, if you're working under the banner of SPCA, it's very hard to give tough love to the right, owner and be right. like, yeah. hey, you need to stop being such exactly. a schmuck. Like, yeah. You can't really say that when you work for a big You're company. doing customer service, yeah. you know, and, and that's what I mean. Like you know, people come in and they're, they're distraught and some of them are emotionless about it. Just like, eh, I don't give a shit. I said goodbye to the cat, you know, and be like, do you want to come in and say goodbye? No, we all said our goodbyes. They leave, and then I'm sitting there with a, like just a sword in my heart, you yeah. know, like oh god, this is terrible. So yeah, so like getting out and being like, this is my voice. I can say it the way I say it, and I do. It is straight shooting, and a little bit of it is tough love. Um, but this go cat go for me is just it's my it's my love letter to the cats of San Francisco in my voice and in my brand, if you will. That's so cool, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, how long ago did you start Go Cats Go? Uh, we, well, I launched it in June of 2012. Okay. Uh, became completely my job, only my job in 2013. Okay. So about a year went by and then I was just like, oh, this is what I'm doing. So at this point now, uh, like almost two years after that, um, what does a typical day look like? How many clients, I guess, are you carrying at one time now? Mm -hmm. Um, well, a typical day is me waking up. That's a lot of computer work because I, a lot, you know, well, cat people are, are computer people. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell by the popularity of cats on the internet. But, uh, so a lot of my correspondence is via the, e via email. Uh, so I'm checking voicemails and, and corresponding with, uh, clients I have already who are, you know, still, you know, following up on stuff because there's no cat problem that ends after one visit, like one and done. Goodbye. I hope, you know, hope everything works out. There's multiple visits, usually one or two, uh, or two to three sometimes. So typical day is me doing those, uh, the correspondence with them. Then also, um, prepping for whatever I have to do that day. I do anywhere from one to three consults a day, sometimes none, if you know, I have other work to do. Um, and those are everywhere in the Bay area. So, yeah. It's uh, anywhere between here, well, anywhere within an hour's distance is usually where I'll go. So I go as far out as like San Jose or Petaluma. Um, yeah, any, anywhere. So that's, for me, I have to kind of, I've got to, 
uh, schedule all that out, you know? Yeah. Like, if it's going to be traveling, am I going to do two in the East Bay today or just one, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I have, oh, well, over the course of three years, I've got over 350 individual human clients. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. So it's, uh, it's what I do. So now, <laughs> so now completely full time, um, you're looking at, if, if it's an all a cat centric day, if you will, two to three clients in a day. Yeah. What, at what point were you, at what point did you realize that you could do it full time? Um, and you didn't have to keep on working at the SPCA during the day. Oh, you know, honestly, I don't think I ever really fully realized I could do it full time. I just, just jumped off the cliff. Yeah. You know, um, always good advice. And it's still, it's still jumping off the cliff. I mean, it's not, this is not a predictable and or reliable job sometimes, you know, there may be, I may get three clients a day or I may get three clients a week or a week will go by. Mm -hmm. Um, because it is kind of a freelance job and you are at the, the, the whim of whether people need you or not, whether they value the service or not, Mm -hmm. whether they think it's totally hooey, you know, or they, or they think that, um, uh, surrender is a better option, whatever it is, you know? So, what I do outside of doing those consultations is constantly put myself out into the world to make sure people know I exist. Mm-hmm. And that is social media stuff. I mean, everything from constant and I hate it. I mean, it kills me because I hate the way technology is robbing us of, uh, of connections, but I, but I have to do it. I have to Instagram all the time. I have yeah. to Facebook all the time blogging. Um, there's, things like we're doing right now. Yeah. Uh, TV stuff. I mean, it's just, there's constant creative, uh, outlets for me to explore and, and I need to do it because I don't want to stop here in the Bay area. Like I want to be, I want to be known for what I do everywhere. But it's not just about being known. It's about being able to help. Right. And, uh, and stopping, you know, well, or I should say creating awareness about this issue. Definitely. Definitely. So what type of, if people are listening to this right now, I'll ask a similar question <laughs> to what actually I asked our mutual friend Soraya, who is a life coach for people. And I was saying, if somebody is listening to this right now and they're saying to themselves, wow, you know, I give really good advice to people all the time. Maybe I should be a life coach. If somebody's listening to this and they say, man, I love cats or man, like I just get along with cats really well. I think I should try that. Yeah. Um, what type of person do you think would do well in this? And what type of person do you think should steer clear despite the fact that they have a good relationship with cats? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, number one, you've got to be, you've got to be a person who understands people. I mean, it's, if you like cats, that's great. But if you don't understand people, you're never going to help anybody. Um, and that's, that's an issue that I, in, in shelter world and animal welfare worlds, you get a lot of people that are not, are, are really animal friendly, but not so people friendly. Yeah. And that's where things get kind of judgy and, and, and that. So, you know, to be a cat consultant and to be accepted into somebody's home, there's a degree of trust there. There's a degree of uh, understanding. You know, I, say, I always say it this way. I've got usually about five or ten minutes when I walk into somebody's house to to make my case yeah. <laughs> or to let, to let them know who I am and what I do and, and how this is going to be because people have all kinds of ideas about what they think the experience is going to be. So the person who is best to do this job is someone who understands people well, also understands cats, has a sense of humor about this because a lot of the advice I gave is telling people, 
just surrender. Yeah. Just stop. Yeah. Just stop trying to fix this. Yeah. Um, and um, I also think, you know, to get where I am, you don't, you can't just one day, like, I'm going to be a cat consultant. Like, it helps that you spend about a decade. <laughs> okay. So working, that was going to be my next question. Is what cats. would step one be? Like, if you were to give somebody advice of this is the first step that you should take to get, if you really want to make this a job, this yeah. is step one, it would be to go and volunteer your time. Yeah. Sacrifice. Honestly, like, sacrifice your time and your, uh, just, well, it's time. It comes down to time. That's the most valuable thing any of us have. So, um, if you're, if you really want to understand cats, like just lend yourself to understanding the the worst case scenarios first. Yeah. And so I often say like, I feel like I'm a, a social worker who got started by working in a prison, and then realize oh I can work on the outside to prevent <laughs> people from going into prison. Yeah, and I'll just you know get the I'll get the bad eggs before they enter. You know, so um, yeah, I mean. If you got a mind to be a social worker, it's a good job for you, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Perfect. Good advice. Um, why don't we end with this? This is a question I ask most people, um, which is how do you feel? And this could either be since you started working with cats back at the SPCA or it could yeah. be since starting your own business and all of that. But how do you feel that you've changed as a person from having gone down this path? Oh, gosh. Oh, I changed as a person. Um, well... You know, now I work for myself. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I've become really critical of myself, I guess. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> become a much worse human being. <laughs> yeah, it, it hasn't made me a better person. No, I think it's, um, it's, uh, well, it's, it, as a person, it's, it's opened me up a lot more. It's opened me up to experiences. Uh, it's opened me up to, oh gosh, just the total randomness of, of what any day can roll out, you know, and it's also made me not so, Oh, I don't know. Oh gosh. Not, not so hell bent on making sure that there's a, like a cut and dry answer to a problem yeah. because there often isn't one. So I think when we have jobs that are solution based, we're like, we go into it going, Oh my God. Okay. Like uh, there's, you know, hundred solutions to this and I know every one of them and I often feel that way and I go there and I'm like holy shit I don't know what like, what, I'm gonna, what's, what am I going to say here sometimes <laughs> yeah. so um, it's it, doing this job has made me humble because I, I sometimes don't know every answer and I have to find out those answers or I have to come across a situation that is completely new and then go oh like okay now I've been through that now down the line I know what to what to do so there's a learning curve and that comes with with just, you know, walking into random people's houses every day. Yeah. Um, everything from like how you're going to deliver your advice to how you're going to figure out what the actual problem is. So, yeah. So it's made me humble, critical, uh, and, uh, not, maybe not so serious about some things. Yeah. Um, but it's also, it, it's me, honestly, it's made me feel like I'm being the authentic person. I want to be God. And what more could you ask for in life? That's it. That's, I mean, that's, that's all we are supposed to do, right? Be genuine, be authentic. And you know, our mutual friend Soraya actually has helped me find that stuff because I know I have a message and my message is, you know, kind of twofold. Like I'm trying to help cats and I'm really trying to help people yeah. too. Um, so in being kind of, you know, just authentic about that, having a sense of humor about it, 
um, and just being like, you know what? Like sometimes I give advice and I say the word fuck. Like, okay, like that's true. <laughs> that's real. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's no filter anymore. And I think when you work for other people and like you said, like your, your messaging is with them and then you've got to, you know, got to play a certain role. It's going to be customer service I have 100% poetic license now yeah over anything i say you get to be exactly who you are yeah. every moment of every day it's beautiful and take it or leave it yeah man that's great good shit <laughs> good shit indeed <laughs> dq thanks so much yeah. man appreciate thank it thank you